laptop. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Yagmoth Soap Opera, the classic-related podcast brought to you, the community. I'm Andy, a.k.a. Eternal Hammer, and I'm joined by the regular co-host, Zach, a.k.a. The Hoff, and George, a.k.a. Whiffy Penguin. We're sponsored by PureMTGO.com and MTGOTraders.com, and today we're going to bring you uh, updates on the classic event that fired this week, which was on the March the 13th. We're going to take a look at um, the potential impact of Yangmoth's bargain to the format and then have a look at some of the economics surrounding the classic format. So, George, do you want to get us started with a, a quick look at the, the event that fired last week? Yeah, sure. Um, so we've got one event to talk about. I have to say I'm very disappointed with you guys. Where are you? Where, where are you? I, it's Saturday afternoon, and... The 1 p.m. Eastern Time Classic event got to seven or eight players. I once again ask, where are you? Okay. What, what do you guys What do you guys think about this? Just lack of activity. Yeah, it's really disappointing. Um, I think there was a huge flow of interest into the format when Med 4 was released and for whatever reason that seems to have gone off the boil um, last couple of weeks I'd been putting it down to the fact that Mirrodin Procedure had just been released and a lot of classic players like to, uh, to pick up the three packs and go for a bit of a draft but you know that's, that's been out for a while now and, and, and those players still aren't coming back into the events. There's still a lot of interest and activity in the, in the tournament practice room and uh, the two man queue seems to fire reasonably frequently but in terms of getting these uh, these 16-man events to fire, it's been been really disappointing. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit uh, taken aback by the fact that not only that, but the fact when these events do fire, they never fire at any more than the minimum. So we've had like the 13th, I believe, had 16 players. Um, yeah, that's that's another good point. I'm hoping that when Destiny comes out in in a couple of weeks, that will uh, will shake up the format again and, and and maybe get a few more people coming back to explore the options there. Um, but it it has been it has been disappointing. And I'm I'm not really too sure why. Um, it's a great format. We've we've shown through the podcast data last week that there's there's great diversity in the format. So I'm I'm, I'm really perplexed as to why people aren't aren't, aren't getting more involved. Um, maybe it's a cost um, cost factor with. Uh, with Force of Will and, and Jace and uh, other other cards of, of high cost being being linchpins in the format, but I, I really don't understand why we're not seeing more of these events firing with more players in them. Yeah, I mean you can you can say things about cost, but if you can afford to play competitive Legacy, chances are you can afford to play competitive Classic, and I feel like all those Legacy players who don't play Classic should give it a try. Yeah, I, I think uh, we can all agree, give it a shot, you'd be pleasantly surprised. Um, so, at any rate, uh, we've got Timmons coming in in first place with a 4-0 with his four-color fish deck. That guy keeps churning out the results, eh? Yeah, it's unfortunate because now he's beating me by one full point in the uh, classic quarter player of the year race. I was in first place, but now I'm in lowly second well, you can always change that moving forward. Um, were there any changes to his deck this week? Um, from last week, no. It's the it's the same one that we talked about in the last podcast with the uh, Gilded Drakes in the sideboard. Okay. Um, I mean, it's a good deck, as we'll see. I actually picked it up, but we've got Cat Weasel with Good Game Oath. And this looks pretty close to the one that we talked about last week as well. 
It's got uh, all the accoutrements, one dragon's breath, the, the two good game fatties, and then it's got that, that show and tell that I absolutely detest in the main deck, but works pretty well with the sideboard. Yeah, it seems like a, a pretty solid build. Um, looks like she's still going with the one dragon's breath. Um, any idea if you're ever going to change your mind and give one a shot, or you still don't think that's enough? Well, I actually haven't uh, tested her list yet. Uh, I've been busy trying to do some block things uh, while waiting for a classic to pretty much fail. All right. Well, I feel sorry for you, but that's another matter. Um, yeah, th there's a couple of classic bums in the uh, three-in-one slot as well. Uh, Wiffy Penguin and Abstract 66. Who are those guys? Uh, a bunch of chumps, yeah, they are some they are some jokers. Uh, so I, I've got the third place with four color fish, and it's a carbon copy of Timmins. And uh, Zach came in with it's labeled as Jacerator, but this is Exploderator. Um, it's the list that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and I was pleasantly surprised that Zach was able to money considering the uh, matchups he had in the daily event. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh... It wasn't what I would have hoped for going in, and uh, I, I guess I made the best of it. Um, we'll talk about our matchups in a minute, but um, the other deck that came in in the 3-1 uh, bracket there is G. Reyes, which is, he's a pretty standard uh, top finisher here in the Classic, and he's playing his uh, Stacksless Stacks build. Um, this is the one that's kind of like, Fully loaded out on the creatures with the four duplicate, four lodestone, four steel halkite. Um, pretty solid plan, and it looks like he's given a pretty big tip of the hat to uh, to the creature builds with the tabernacles and the sideboard. Uh, I think it's a good good choice right now. What, what do you guys think about his build? Yeah, I like the tabernacle to fight the four color fish. Yeah, it seems good, um, especially <coughs> in a deck that doesn't need a land drop every turn. I mean, they're usually getting three-for-ones with their workshops, or at least two-for-ones with the uh, cities and the ancient tombs. So, yeah. seems good. I, I, like, I, I like seeing how he's evolved this deck since the release of Med 4, and kind of been tweaking away at it to, to attack different decks in the format as they kind of ebb and flow in popularity. Um, he bought in... Um, is it Leyline of the Voids at some point? He brought in duplicates for the Oath build, and, and now he's trying some other tech by bringing in the Tabernacle. So I, I, like, I like the fact that he's kind of mixing it up and, 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 and aware of what decks he needs to be fighting and preparing again. So, yeah, not, not to him. Yeah, and if you look at it even closer, I mean, the one card I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit questionable on is the Eon Hubs in the sideboard. I've never heard anybody say, wow, those are great against me. But he has a Forbidden Orchards to fight the Oath matchup. Um, Four Maze of Ith, I assume that's a, a, another nod to the fish matchup, and it's a great way to stop Blight Steals. He did, I don't know if he got this on his own, if he heard it from the podcast, but I think it's awesome. He has the basic land in the sideboard for the Ghost Quarters, which is something we've talked about uh, a lot. He also has what I think is probably one of the best cards to sub in in the, in the Mud Mirror, which is the Sculpting Steals. And it just looks like his sideboard's really well put together, Cough Cough, Eon Hub, Cough Cough. I kind of dig that he's got 11 lands in his sideboard. Yeah, it's definitely something different. 
Yeah. Um, one, one other sideboard card that kind of uh, struck me as being interesting this week, and it's, it's been around in Vint for quite a while, and, and George mentioned it as being uh, played in Classic in the past, was uh, Greater Gargadon coming in, uh, in, in Red Shells against, against the Oath deck. It's not something I've, uh, I've seen before, but when I saw it, I thought, wow, that's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool in, in sideboard um, against the deck that's uh, gaining in popularity in the field. So I, I wonder if we'll be seeing more of that coming out of the sideboard uh, in, in due course. That's a cool that idea. A- I haven't I haven't heard that. I, maybe I missed it, but that that that's really cool, George um, and Andy. So I guess the the theory is you can get as much red as they can get Forbidden Orchards every turn, right? That's right. You just keep eating your own Forbidden Orchard token. That's that that sounds really cool. I mean, that is oh. like one of the the cooler things I've heard. Yeah, but the problem with it is that eventually you end up with a creature, and then Oath gets to activate. I think I think Greater Gorgonon's time has passed. Well, I mean, you get a creature, but you get three lightning bolt hit at once. So, I mean, <laughs> nine nine damage to almost any deck is a lot. I mean, that's almost fifty percent. And you're time warping, basically. Yeah. I mean, when when it was popular in classic, I didn't have a problem beating it. Okay, cool. Well, I I just thought I'd throw that out there because to me that was something new, and uh, I I just thought I should bring that up. So. So yeah, it looks like the uh, the field for the entire tournament here on the 13th roundup um, has two four sea fish, two green white hate. So basically four uh, four creature shells, two good game oath, snake city run by our good buddy Dunkle, uh, who split I believe with George in the end. So he could have been three one. It's kind of a toss up. You yep. have storm, Tesserator, three shop decks. I assume they're all really similar. Uh, a gush build. You should like that, Andy. <laughs> Jacerator, uh, Elephant Oath, and uh, Exploderator. So, pretty diverse field. No, uh, anybody notice what we're missing? Again, no dredge. Yeah. Kind of weird. It's, it's, it is weird, because uh, as soon as Med 4 was released, dredge was the uh, was the breakout deck, and people weren't prepared for it, as they, they, they kind of... Their sideboards with uh, with anti shop cards. So uh, yeah, I expected a few dredge, dredge cards to come back. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure over the coming months dredge will be back as people start to uh, reduce the amount of sideboard hate for it. If, if it's not kicking around, we tend to see that with dredge that it kind of peaks and troughs in the meta game. So well, I guess one to watch, maybe one to pick up in the coming weeks if you want to uh, try and catch the field un, unprepared again. So yeah, it's it's pretty weird. One of the one of the things that dredge does is it starts. Uh, really ignoring the stacks matchup, which is pretty cool. Not a bunch of decks can do that. Um, they don't necessarily need mana for almost anything besides, you know, random Cabal Rituals if they're thorned out or um, a Dread Return. But it, it's definitely, I, I would think, a good matchup without main deck Leyline for uh, for Dredge. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I mean, Grey Eyes doesn't have any Dredge hate in his deck, and... I think that the reason these shop pilots are starting to lose now is because there's no reason to have a ley line. They're going to cut it, and Dredge is going to come back. Yeah. Well, not only that, I, I think G-Rez has a little bit of Dredge hate. I do think Tabernacles would be infinitely annoying for Dredge. Uh, annoying, but in no way stopping them from winning. Agreed. So, yeah. let's. Uh, you want to talk about your matchups there, George, and then I'll, uh, I'll run through mine? Yeah, I mean, I played against this uh, donkey in round one. Holy crap. 
And as, as you guys will find out later on when Zach does his roundup, I mean, I don't know if I won the match because I have force of will or if it's because I know his deck and I've played it, but I won a close, I think, uh, set of three. Yeah, uh, all three were close, and game three, it was it was flippity-doo, but you definitely got it. I, I believe I misplayed by imprinting a Jace, so. Well, you imprinted a Jace, and then you went uh, double down on Dark Confront with, like, five life. Yeah. No, I had seven life, but I hit a, a Force of Will, and then and a... a two uh, drop. Yeah, a, a two and a five, so it, it hurt. So uh, then in round two, I played against Prolepsis 9. Uh, he was on Jacerator. And I think game one, I got him. Game two, he got me. And game three, uh, he tinkers up a Bladesteel Colossus. And I gilded Drake it. He forced the wills. And I gilded Drake again and then kill him with it. <laughs> nice. So that, no, was, like... that was pretty nifty. Yeah, I like the gilded Drake tech. That's pretty good. Um, round three, I played against Vicky with, uh, the good game oath, and in game one, she got me with just the nuts hand. It was either turn one or turn two oath with force of will for my counterspell, and I had another counterspell, so I, I beat the force, or I beat the oath, and then she untaps into Tinker, and I counterspell the Tinker, and she protects it. So I, yeah. I lost that to the... Triple or quadruple nut, however you want to call it. Yeah, uh, that, game, that... Two, <clears throat> game two, Gilded Drake comes in, and I win it. I steal her fatties. And uh, then in game three, I was only on one blue, and if I had had another blue source, I would have... First, I Gilded Drake's her Bladesteel Colossus on both, and then I had zero blue. In my hand was Stifle, Force of Will, a blue card, and Gilded Drake. She flipped Dragon's Breath and Emrakul. If uh, if I'd had a blue available, I could have stifled the Dragon's Breath and then stolen the uh, Emrakul. But c'est la vie. And uh, then in round four, against Dunkel still, we split. Very cool. So you ended 3-1 and you uh, got a little profit there. That's always fun. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, from my experience, this is... My first classic tournament in, I believe, years. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, I went in kind of because my buddies, Mr. Dunkle Still and Mr. Whiffy Penguin, were poking me in the side saying, join, join, don't be a puss, join, join. So I did. And, uh, of course, as soon as I join and as soon as it starts, I look up, and it's me against the Donk King, Whifficus Penguin. And, of course, I am almost on tilt at this point because I know he's playing a deck that I do not have a great matchup against. Um, he's running, I think he was uh, Temmin's 4C Fish card for card, like he was saying. And it was just really close both ways. Uh, I think it could have been a coin flip either way. But game three, like I said, I made a, a silly play, and I think Whiffy played tighter, and he deserved the win. So, uh my round two starts up, I look up, and I am about to go on super tilt because I see Fish again. Uh, Blazelet's green-white hate, and I know he's a really experienced pilot, but I will say those were some of the most fun and most tight games I think I've ever played in the client. Um, game one came down to a, a balance, which I've, I've been kind of like saying for a long time, it's really, really good. Um, game two... 
Andy and George will both really appreciate the fact that I stared down with a force of will in hand. A turn three, Thrun, the last troll. Yes! And it sucked. I lost the game. I had no outs to it. Jace can't even target it. It is like the worst thing I can see on the other side of the table. Validation. So uh, game three starts up. It is... Game three was one of the coolest games, really. I mean, that's that's what makes this match stand out. It was super tight. I had a, a, a resolved Jace, and I was uh, running down on life. He was actually attacking me uh, at one point and ignoring the Jace. So I kind of went balls deep uh, on the last play there, and I did the brainstorm with Jace. And I had a balance in my hand, but I didn't want to do it because he had four cards in hand. And I believe his two creatures were uh, double goifs. So I was on a really fast clock. Um, I did the brainstorm. I had a, a, a balance in my hand, and I had two other cards. I know the two other cards I pitched back um, from the brainstorm. But I got out of that brainstorm, I got an engineered explosives, a nature's claim, and a fetch. And I kept those three in balance. Dropped the fetch, played the explosives for zero, claimed it. Uh, shuffled my library, did a balance, killed his entire board, and his hand was full of Thrun, two other creatures, and he had two Goits on the table. And that was really the sequence of plays that luckily won me the game. Um, game round three, I played against Shop, which I've always said that's kind of like the backbone of the reason I built the deck. It's good against Shop, and uh, one of the small, the only small change I made, you know, since we introduced the deck was I changed out the two Katakis and the sideboard for uh, two Disenchants, and they worked really good in this matchup. And then round four, I played against uh, a friend of the program here, Endless Nameless, good guy, and uh, it was really close. Um, he was playing another green-white hate deck, and I was about to go on super tilt because I played three of the four green-based creature decks in this tournament, but luckily I went 3-1, and it was a good time, so... That was my experience. Cool, interesting roundup there from both you guys. It was really interesting to hear how you both managed to uh, to make the money in, in that event. And uh, a bit unfortunate drawing each other in round one, but it sounds like you uh, you had a good game and uh, good respect for each other. So, yeah, fair play. Yeah. So um, we were brainstorming ideas for episode eight, and um, George and I were talking in client about um, Destiny coming online soon, and... Uh, Wondering if uh, Yagmoth's Bargain would be um, available as a four-of in the client. And uh, we kind of thought, yeah, there was a pretty pretty good chance that they'd let us uh, explore that one and, and have four copies. And on, on the 18th of March, um, the Magic Online ban restricted announcement hit. And sure enough, there were no changes in Classic, Pauper, or 100-card Singleton. But to note, in, in Legacy, Yagmoth's ba uh, Bargain was added to the ban list for that paper for, uh, for the Magic Online format of Legacy. So that, that kind of uh, implies to us that, that Yagmoth's Bargain is going to be um, unrestricted in Classic and available as a four of. <coughs> so once we got that confirmation, <clears throat> we went away and uh, independently worked on, uh, on different builds. Um, <coughs> first, first of all, uh, George, do you want to talk about your... Uh, your 60-card pile? Yeah, and I mean, 60-card pile is probably an app name for it. Um, I There's no way to test this. I'm not on beta, so I can't test it. But the idea is that Yawgmoth's Bargain is ridiculous if you can get it on the table. Um, the best way I could think of getting it on the table was Show & Tell. Show & Tell not only puts Emrakul, it also puts enchantments. 
So uh, I built the deck to try and get a turn two bargain. And if not a bargain, then an Emrakul or a Blightsteel. And I mean, it, it's your typical LED storm deck, but with Yawgmoth's bargain crammed into it. Very cool. Yeah. So, George, how, how aggressively do you bargain? And does that depend on the, uh, the matchup? Do you go really low on life, hope to get a grip and, and win that turn by, by storm combo? Or do you use the, the Yagmos bargain card advantages in an incremental, uh, turn, turn effect so that you, you're just gaining card advantage to game, uh, turn on turn? Uh, what, what's your take on that? Do you think we just go all in? No, I think that you go, uh, you resolve Yawgmoth's bargain, and then you sit and wait until their turn. If they cast something you have to force of will, you dig. If they don't, I say you draw, like, seven or eight cards. And then, uh, you know, get, like, two or three activations at a bargain. If, if you have to dig for force of will, you have to dig, which I think is kind of cool, because it's like, uh, it's like Soul Spike from two years ago, but... It's better because you instantly get the card and you can get it at any time instead of uh, at end of turn. It's also worth noting that uh, the the other huge difference besides getting the card immediately with this one and Necro is that when you discard, they don't go away. So it makes Yogg Will infinitely better. Uh, Well, there's that. And then Yoggmoth's Will or Yoggmoth's Bargain makes Will so much better. It also makes... uh, Lion's Eye Diamond's so much better. You Yawgmoth's Bargain one card at a time. If you get a if you get an LED in the first few cards, free Black Lotus, and then you Yawgmoth's Bargaining. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, the, obviously the biggest drawback is the, the four colorless and, and two black over the cost of, of Necro, but, you know, two black over three black is, is, is maybe not, not as bad. I mean, it's, it's maybe easier to cast in, in some respects because you only need the two black mana, but... There, there is a way to kind of grab quick mana in this format, and uh, the, the show-and-tell option is obviously a great one for getting it out at an even cheaper casting cost, but there's so much mana ramping in, available in the format that you know maybe getting that, that six mana on turn two or three is, is actually pretty pretty darn feasible. Yeah, I mean, you definitely could hard cast the bargain with this build, but you're really looking to go show-and-tell. And I, I figured that, you know, since I'm running show-and-tell, I may as well get the... Uh, the two misers let me kill you creatures. And I just want to say for posterity, just for posterity, you yelled that cat weasels should never run sh- uh, show and tell in a deck with only two creatures. Just pointing that out. Yeah, but cat weasel isn't running four Yawgmoth bargains. Just throwing yeah. it out there. Just throw it out. Yeah, there's, there's other targets in this deck. So there, there are six targets. Yeah. So that looks pretty cool. I mean, it looks definitely competitive. Um, as far as your your counterspell suite, it looks like you're running the four um, forces. Do you have the pierces in here? Nope. So duress? Nope. Yeah. So this is a pretty naked uh, deck to combo. Uh, I I think if I were looking at it, you know, from the outside looking in, it definitely looks like yeah, I'd go balls out against almost any deck if you don't have protection built up. Yeah. And, I mean, the deck is just built to try and be broken. The sideboard could address blue decks, but against shops and green-white hate, I I think it actually is a pretty good shot. Very cool. Okay. So, Zach, uh, sorry, yeah, Zach, what did you uh, what did you brew up? 
Well, um, I kind of took a, a deck that I'm playing around with right now and, and, and put a bargain in it because I think it would fit pretty well. Um, I am not the optimist that you and George are. I think we'll have two months of a degenerate combo uh, war going on. I, I I can't look at bargain, even though it costs six mana, and say, wow, that's totally fair now. Let's just play four of them. Uh, I, I thought about what I would do if it was restricted, and this is kind of what I came, came up with. It's... Uh, my MO at the moment is typically running a lot of uh, ramp and excel, so I was doing that anyway, and uh, in this build I originally had an echoing truth where I put this Yawgmoth's bargain, so I really have no answers per se, besides like Jace, but the deck has a bunch of win conditions, and Yawgmoth's bargain here more, more acts like a, uh, a facilitator to win rather than the end game. Um, I, I think it would be pretty cool. Again, you know, I, I wouldn't say, hey, go out and play this. It's a super difficult de deck to play. Um, even just looking at it from the outside, you're probably saying, wow, what does this thing do? But it, it, it's it's pretty pretty fair uh, to have one, I think. To run one Necro and one Bargain, uh, that's, that's how I see the future of Classic. Uh, and I added a sideboard. It's just, I guess, for posterity. Um, just what I would what I would run right now uh, in the format, but that was that was my idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean it looks it looks good. I mean it's obviously slot, slotting in the bargain. Um, do you have anything to say, George? Uh, I mean, I would put a tendrils of agony in it. That's fair enough. I mean, it, it could probably use the tendrils of agony. It's you know it's running Yogwell, it's running Necro, and it's running Bargain. So I'm sure that couldn't hurt. It's got Dark Ritual. Yeah. Dark Ritual actually in this deck really makes the uh, Yog Will amazing, but that's all. So Andy, what did you uh, come up with there? Well, I went back to the kind of grassroots of the original Necro deck from about 18 months ago, um, which used to power out the Necropotence on uh, turn one and two, and draw a bunch of cards, find some soul spikes, and uh, hope to win on the next turn. And this is a similar similar deck, um, packing the four Yagmos Bargain as. Uh, as George has already pointed out, it runs uh, four Lion's Eye Diamond, and the ability to draw immediately with Bargain as opposed to wait until Necro's end of turn is, is so powerful, especially when you can, uh, as, as George pointed out, drop Lion's Eye Diamond, grab the mana quickly, and then pump out more cards to your hand uh, through, through the Bargain, and, and then use that mana that you've, uh, you've stored up. So this is um, a pretty typical Storm deck in, in many cases. It's got the um, Infernal Tutor Lion-Eyed Diamonds in, into your draw card, in this case Yagmos Bargain. Um, there's no reason not to run Necropotence, so that's, that's squeezed in there as well. I think with this kind of deck, I'd, I'd want to go pretty aggressive with my bargaining. I'd want to drop that bargain as soon as possible and then just blitz as much life into it as possible to try and close the game out with the game-winning tendrils. Um, I don't really see the point in sitting back and waiting for your opponent's next turn in, in this type of build. Um, every life that you have means another card, so giving them another turn to, to attack your life, basically your key resource, um, isn't something that really interests me that much. I, I guess the biggest system of the build, of the main deck at the moment, is that it doesn't really have that much disruption beyond the two duress and the four force of will. So I either need to kind of tweak the main deck a little bit more, or as George alluded to with his build, pack out the sideboard to to give you a bit more defense against uh, some of the strategies. I, I guess this deck is is similar in its nature in in that, it, that it, can, it can just kind of run over some of the decks in the format with uh, its explosiveness. Um, it is maybe a little bit more susceptible to the shop decks than, than the other two builds, running uh, 
kind of um, light on uh, low casting cost cards like Ritual and uh, Chromox and uh, Brainstorm and, and the Rituals that all get easily shut down or, or, or slowed down at least by the sphere effects of Shop. Um, but that's my take on it. Um, the, the great thing about this build is the Soul Spike, so you can plow four life in and draw some dead cards along with the Soul Spike and then just... Uh, immediately reach for life and, and, and draw four more cards to kind of burn through your deck a bit quicker. Um, but yeah, the, the kind of bustedness of the deck really comes from Lion's Eye Diamond uh, and coupled with the Yagmoth's Will effect as well. So I, I'll i be interested to pick up four copies of Bargain um, just to kind of play around with them. I, I think I think eventually it will get restricted. I think we'll I think we'll see it for more than two months, um, just based on the model with Necropotence. They uh, seem to to enable us to keep that in the format for quite a while. And and, and when when Necro was released, people were pretty slow on the uptake about how powerful that deck was. And uh, I think we ended up having it. Uh, George will correct me if I'm wrong for for about six months in the end. Um, I think it was so, I think it was closer to ten. Right. Yeah. I mean, it definitely longer than. Uh, than we first thought it would be around for. So um, I'd, I'd be surprised if Bargain gets shut out as quickly as, as you're implying, Zach. But um, I, I do eventually see it getting getting uh, getting knocked on the head at some point. Well, can so we, that's can my we, take on it. Can we agree that maybe Bargain is at least more powerful than the unrestricted uh, library is right now that people are kind of ignoring? Uh, I'm like, that's like... That's like trying to compare a baby with a spoon to a fully trained mercenary and an AK-47. I don't know if it is. You can you can almost always guaranteed get library going by turn two, right? Um, how many decks play Wasteland? Not as many as I thought would. Uh, I think it's every single deck plays Wasteland or Strip Mine, and not every single deck plays a way to get rid of an enchantment. True, yeah. true enough. Yeah, the, the other no matter, way of looking no at it. No matter how much it costs. Yeah. The other way of looking at it, if, if I get turn two library down, I may gain card advantage and eventually win the game. But if I get down bargain, I'm going to be winning the game this turn or next. Sure. It, yeah, it's uh, just, it you just also have six out. mana or two cards to get that bargain down, though. Well, absolutely. But, I mean, with Andy's build, if he ever resolves Yogmoth's bargain, he instantly wins. Yeah, I can see that. Draw, draw like 17 cards, soul spike until you get enough mana to get, until you get enough uh, rituals or petals or what have you to get to four mana and tendrils then. Now, my number one beef, uh, especially with your build, George, is you did not include Necropotence. Ah, so, uh, yes I did. Really? Not oh, only you did. Necro, you did. I have a memory jar as well to tinker into. So, yeah, never mind. I'll, I'll scratch that. My number one thing, then, with both of you guys would be, I think a lot of the time, you're going to get uh, Infernal Tutor, pop the LED, and play Necro before you'll ever get to Bargain. Um, possibly. I mean, that's the LED and Infernal Tutor are such a strong part of the deck. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like that is probably... Your best interaction on besides the obvious like LED Yog will, um, the LEDs. The problem is the LED, the FOW, and all that stuff are just. This is going to be one of those stratosphere costing decks, sadly. Oh yeah, it's not a bargain. No, it's not a, a bargain by Yogmoth Soap Opera. No, yeah, and I don't think any single one of us could play this deck because none of us have diamonds. Yeah. 
and the sad part is you're looking at what 300 bucks for four diamonds and then another 450 for oath or uh, forces yeah and, and you got to wonder if if these decks did come to fruition would they ban bargain first i mean excuse me would they restrict bargain first or would they consider finally restricting lion's eye diamond i think i think lion's eye diamond had, has had way too long of a run to be honest yeah, I think Lion's Eye Diamond is one of the most broken things in the game. Uh, one, one is is just ridiculous, um, and it's so funny thinking back ten years or so when people were like, "Well, this isn't even good." Well, yeah, I mean, it's. I'll be honest, Lion's Eye Diamond isn't good if you just throw it in a deck, but when you build with it in mind, it is just so powerful. Yeah, three free mana is not to be. <laughs> dismissed so yeah I'm, i really feel sorry just uh going back on the power of lion's eye diamond uh, uh, lion's eye diamond really kind of took another step up when uh, infernal tutor became available those two cards interact so wonderfully well um that that i think that's really where where lion's eye diamond shines is on the back of infernal tutor to get what what you need to power out with well yeah sure uh infernal tutor but yagamoth's will just is Wow. Yeah, I mean, classic is wow. It's pretty cool. We have uh, we have a lot of... Basically, I, I think the main thing we can glean from looking at Yawgmoth's Bargain here is that it is another in a long line of ridiculously broken tools. However, they're going to let us play four of them. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm just going to hop back to something that I raised uh, when Med 4 was released. That um, I, I'm kind of glad now, looking back... I, don't get me wrong, I want Power 9 online... But I'm kind of glad that they've pushed it back, delayed it a little bit, didn't give it us in Med 4. still have hopes that we'll get it, because it does give us the opportunity to, to tinker and, and try new new ideas and, 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 and explore the idea of running four libraries of Alexandria or four Yagmos bargains. And I, I, I just find that an, an, an interesting uh, position that we're in at the moment. Well, I, I, I hear where you're coming from, but let me pose another question back at you. It's nice that we get these little opportunities with our 32-person playtest group here that are basically in the tournament room. But if they had released the uh, the nine pieces that we're talking about here, do you really believe that we would have the problems firing the events that we're firing right now? I don't think that we'd have a problem firing them. I do, however, not think that they would be getting to like 40 or 50 people. I think they'd probably be just, like, just the over uh, minimum. At least for a little while. I disagree to a pretty large extent. I think there's a much bigger vintage community out there that does see this as a neutered, one-legged format. And I, I think... I think even if we lost the very special things that we have that no one's using, like four Library of Alexandrias, I'd be happy to throw that away in a moment to get... The full power and the full player base right on our side so we can really start growing the format. I, I think vintage players can gain a lot of experience and, and, and information from, from jumping in and playing classic even without the power nine in the format, though. Yeah, but they're not. I, I mean, I, I've talked to Matt Elias, who is a vintage guy, <clears throat> and he said that uh, he is interested in classic. It's just it's kind of a low priority because it doesn't correlate to paper. And I posed the question if we had Power 9, and he's like, oh, I would probably sell some power and 
build up a vintage collection on Moto. I mean, that's kind of what I what I expect, to tell you the truth. And, and I bet there's a lot more than just him. I know the European and Italian magic scene with vintage is ridiculously large. It's way bigger than what we're used to. So you think people would just sell their paper black lotus and jump online and buy... Well, not in Europe, but in America, yes. I, I, I don't even say that. I think most of the people who are playing vintage are not kids with a dwindling budget. I think a lot of the people are professionals in some field, and they consider it a hobby. I think they could come up with, you know, really, what do you need for a, a great deck? You can't tell me that if you put $1,200 into the format, it wouldn't be enough. From scratch, I think you would need about two grand. Okay, two grand. Now... Some people pay more than that. Look, I'm, I'm paying 500 bucks a year for my NFL Sunday ticket. So draw, draw a correlation there. I mean, other people have other hobbies they enjoy, and if they have this accessible with full Power 9 and it's a mirror format, I mean, yeah, we're going to miss some cards. We're not going to have Mercadian Mass for a while. But that's a way bigger difference than missing Moxon, Lotus, Time Walk, Twister, Recall. I mean, come on. that That's, that's a lot of... A powerful, powerful interactions we're missing out on right now. And I, I do, I, I am a little bit angry still that we haven't gotten it. I mean, I, I just feel like we've been perennially strung along. We've, we, they gave us five dual lands. Awesome. Then they gave us the other five. Awesome. Then they ticked off half the player base by re-releasing re ten at once. Why didn't they release five at once? I, 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 I feel like we should... We should keep fighting for the Power 9. I don't feel like we should be like, oh, well, it's it's fun. Oh, no, you, you, you misunderstand my point. I'm, I'm not saying that I wouldn't love Power 9. I'm not saying that it wouldn't be great to have it. I'm just saying that there is an opportunity that is created by delaying it a little bit longer. Well, yeah, the opportunity is there and we're enjoying it, but the the real the reality of it is is that events aren't firing, people aren't interested, and like, like Zach, they're jaded. Some of us have been waiting four years for power, and we can't even get confirmation. Yeah, really. And Andy, I would totally jump on board with you and say this is a lot of fun. If I knew in summer 2013 even that we were going to get power, they won't give us that glimmer of hope. They won't give it to us just because some jaded collector somewhere thinks it might affect their paper or the guys in R&D on the online side are thinking maybe this is too big of a risk. Let's let's talk about it more. And I think they've done that for four years now. And I bet you if they took a poll of all Eternal Online, and I'm, I'm talking Classic and Vintage, or Classic and uh, Legacy, excuse me, I bet you an overwhelming majority would be fully in favor. And I know people who own power in real life. One of our clanmates, Caxon, I know owns power, would be totally for it. Do you disagree? I think it'd be a hundred percent. What about you, Andy? Oh yeah, I, I I agree that the 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 desire for Power Nine is there. We all want it. We all want to see vintage fulfilled and, and online. And and for many of us, it will be the first time playing vintage. I've I've never owned Power, never played vintage. Read a lot of articles about it and have a desire to. Um, but for me, on a limited budget, my only hope of ever being able to play vintage is if the Power Nine is released online. Um, and, and it's as simple as that. It, even from a young age, I've always wanted to be able to uh, to shuffle up a, a, a true vintage deck and, and have some fun with that. But 
just just because of, uh, of financial constraints, I've never had that opportunity. So from a selfish point of view, Power 9 coming online would give me that opportunity to fulfill a, a childhood dream, I guess, uh, of, of being able to play vintage. Yeah, and, and you know, I think one other thing that uh, I, I truly do hope, uh, you know, some people from, from Watsi are listening to this, because one other thing I do want to bring into context here. Yeah, one of the one of the things that's happened in the last ten years is yes, they've they've started allowing proxies in these tournaments, and people have gotten to play with the cards that they can't or or don't or just you know reasonably can't ever expect to afford. Um, but another thing to take into consideration is all the people who've moved away from where they've grown up. You know, I, I used to live close to a card shop. I haven't played Paper Magic since I was thirteen or fourteen years old. Um, Think of all the people who do want to play, even in real life. Even if they have the cards, they're not around enough people to play Vintage. Vintage is a super, super, super exclusive format. And it's considered, con you know, if you're privileged today, you could probably buy Vintage Staples. If you're not and you're an everyday Joe, it's out of your price realm. I mean, it just is. And if you look online, the options we have, I don't remember who I was talking to. It might have been one of you. But I was watching a Star City Games Open, and they were talking about a guy's Beta Black, uh, Beta Underground C in his Legacy deck, and it was like eight hundred and fifty dollars. We yep. have black bordered Underground Cs for what? I got mine for fifteen dollars a couple weeks ago. Um, did you know that Beta and Alpha Underground Cs are worth more than Time Twisters, I and I think Mox Emeralds? It's just another reason I think they should they should allow it online. I mean, I. I can't think of a good reason to keep it away from online. I apologize um, for going on a tangent here. I, I just no. That, that's an interesting point you raised, though, because by having black bordered um, underground seas online for fifteen dollars, obviously hasn't in any way affected the price of that paper beta underground sea. Exactly. If anything, it's made uh, betas more expensive. Yeah, I by mean, having by having an actual source to do testing and uh, have demand for when people want to build it in paper. Sure, uh, Watsi, take this take this example and use it as a field study. Look what's happened with the cards that you have put online. Oath of Druids is ridiculously affordable. When it first came out, it was like twenty four, twenty six bucks. You know, uh, at least after the release events. Now it's down to like sixteen to eighteen bucks. It's getting more accessible, and more people are allowed to play it. I think the same thing would happen with uh, Power Nine. Everyone wants Power Nine. Yep. So. Um, Let's talk a little bit about what else might be in uh, Urza's Destiny that we're looking at. What, what other uh, cards? Well, the number one card that I am going to get is a foil Yawgmoth Bargain. Well, okay, that one's been established after that. Uh, Metalworker, as many as I can possibly afford. So Metalworker, and what do, you, what do you see Metalworker doing? Do you see it revolutionizing uh, stacks both in Legacy and Classic? Uh, well, the, the main reason I want to get them is because of Legacy, and I don't care what it does, but it will double to triple the day after release events are over. Wow. That's a pretty, pretty bold statement, George. What do you think, Andy? I, I'm going to disagree. I think it's going to open at, uh, at too high a price. I, 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 I don't see there being that, that value there. I, I'd, I'd like to be proved wrong, um, but I, I think at release it's going to be a 40-ticket card. No, see, I, I, I feel like I'll be able to pick them up for 15 tickets and then sell them for about 30 to 40 a month or two later. 
A 40-ticket card. That would be... I don't even think Tezzeret Agent of Bolas was near 40 bucks when it was released. Was it? I, I bought them for 39 That's That's super high. Uh, especially considering there are other good cards in the... Now, in an upcoming set that will be coming out, I'll give you an example of a card that I do think will be $40 at a normal rare. I think Rishadon Port, when that set comes out, will be $40. I actually think it might be 50 Yeah, that card is going to be ridiculously... But as far as Metalworker goes, um, I think somewhere probably in the middle between 20 and 40 I think, I think 30 might be fair, 25 to 30 uh, It's a really good card, and it's on par with, like, as far as um, accessibility. You, you're going to want to run four of them. So... It's got to be semi-affordable, and it's going to be available. I mean, people aren't going to draft this set and then keep their metal workers unless they're unless they're stacks players. I see it at twenty-five to thirty. I think that's fair. Price-wise, what are you calling, George? Uh, I I think you'll be able to pick them up for in between fifteen and twenty. Fifteen and twenty. When when are we talk if we're talking about the release weekend, I'm saying forty tickets. Of course, it will drop, but I think I'm talking, in the initial. I'm talking near the end of release events, like uh, the Sunday before the release events disappear. Okay, yeah, then we're, we're going to be coming back down into... I still think it'll be high 20s by then. So, uh, yeah, okay, then, Andy, we're on the same page there. I think 25 to 30 there. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see. And then uh, what go... else is in the set? <clears throat> um, we've got Donate. We, we have? Donate will probably not be a very expensive card at all, but... It's a fun card to try and screw around with. I know Andy was talking about classic tricks. Classic tricks. Now, what was the original principle behind the old tricks deck? I'm not. Uh, Necropotence, uh-huh. illusions of grandeur, draw twenty cards, and then donating it so that they lose when they can't pay the cumulative upkeep. Very cool. Yeah, it, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't see any play in Legacy, and uh, has maybe been superseded by uh, other well, two cards. Necropotence and Bargain are banned in Legacy, though. Yeah, yeah, true, that's the gas that really powers it out, but the, there are better two-card combos in, in both Legacy and Classic now, I guess. I don't know. Cl- uh, Extended Tricks is one of the best decks of all time. So, yeah, definitely. So you definitely have to at least give it a, a go-around and see if there's anything nifty about it. So we've got Bargain, Metalworker, and Donate. What else is there? Is there good any other good rares, or should we move on to the uncommons here? Um, there's uh, Mastercore. Mastercore? That, yeah, that's already online, though, isn't it? It is, but it might be popular. Yeah, um, there's also Academy Rector. I'm yeah, not Academy. sure how, uh, how playable it is, but uh, it's a card that I have fond memories of. Um, Powder Keg is in the set. Powder Keg, that's cool. Oh, no, 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 is it? Yeah, Powder no, Keg... Uh, I'm looking at the, Destiny, is it? I'm I'm looking at the spoiler right now. Um, that could be a that could be like a ten dollar card. Oh yeah, I I for some reason I thought that was in Mask Block. No, definitely Powder Cake. Rafelos, Rafelos, the uh, I think that it is unbanned in Commander, so people will go nuts for that. If it is banned, then it's probably not that good a card. What about uh, Opalescence? Opalescence could be fun. I think the more important card is uh, Replenish. 
replenish. I think that's yeah. going to give uh, legacy decks a big boost, the Enchantress ones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I could easily see replenish being like a $7 card at first, and uh, judging on how it performs, maybe going up to like 15 How about a card we've had for a while, but I think is pretty integral to some of these black suicide decks, the, the Negator, the original Phyrexian Negator? Um, I think Negator's Day is past. Negator's Day is past. Yeah, I mean, the set looks like it has some cool options as far as, you know, some money. Uh, Replenish, it looks like it's going for 10 bucks in real life, so I imagine, you know, 7 to 9 online, probably. There is Body Snatcher in the set. Uh, which Body has Snatcher is part has of the combos. Yeah, it has relevance to kind of uh, alternative kills for the Flash deck. Now, I know Flash is, uh, is restricted in Classic, but that's... Um, you know, another another kill combo in that in that type of deck, so that's maybe worth keeping an eye on. Um, another nifty card is Treachery. I don't know, I don't know how much it would impact uh, competitive, but it would probably be a casual staple. Which card is that? Treachery is the uh, three colorless and two blue uh, control magic that untaps five lands when it resolves. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I don't really see that seeing much play, to be honest. Isn't hey, that just like a, a crappy rewind? Hermit Druid, see, uh, Hermit Druid is like a $5 card on the back of Casual, and I expect <laughs> Treachery to be about the same. Yeah, true. Never underestimate the Casual crowd. Uh, I just as, looked through the uncommons here, and I see like not one playable good uncommon. No. That's kind of depressing. Original Compost. Original Compost, Original Thieving Magpie. I mean, there's some... It's oh, Gamekeeper. That's a pretty important uh, uncommon. Which one is that one? Let me see here. Oh, yeah, he's cool. That's he, definitely uh, something we don't have online. I think a lot of this comes down to do we have a version of it online yet. Yeah, I mean, Gamekeeper doesn't see a lot of play now, but he used to be a top-tier combo uh, engine in um, Legacy and Vintage. And the Pulper crowd will be happy to see... Uh, more Yavimia elders in the system. As, yeah. Is it elder the 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 green uh, dude who was only in one of the the theme decks? Oh yeah, I think yeah. it's like kind of seven ticket common or something crazy. Yeah, Ancestral that. elf. No, it was um... ancestral elf. Two green and one, and uh, sacrifice them, draw a card, and get two lands in your hand. No, it's Yavimia elder. Ancestral. That's elf. the one. No, you have a minute, Elder. Yeah. You guys aren't getting the reference. Uh, all right. I think it's called Ancestral Elf. Uh, oh, okay. I got you. It's one card Very for three. Funny. Very slow. So, outside of him, do we have any good commons here coming in? Um, I'm looking through here, seeing what we got. Uh, doesn't look like much. This is... This is pretty down. I mean, Urza's, Urza's Legacy had so much. It had, like, Mother of Runes. It had all the great commons. Uh, Sickle of Sleep could be interesting. Whenever you deal da whenever the enchanted creature deals damage to a player, you can uh, bounce one of their guys. Oh, that's cool. It has uh, all, the, all the different scents are probably good. Yeah. Uh, scent of Cinder, Ivy. Uh, and you, have to, you guys have to realize that none of us play Pauper, so... We don't exactly know what we're looking for. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking in relation to the formats that I'm involved with, which is Classic and Legacy and 
that's kind of what I'm looking at. I, it might be Osterman Popper, and it might be worth money, so we'll figure that out later on. But that's how I gauge my excitement level, is if it's if it's playable for me. <laughs> yeah, looks like it. I don't see anything else. All right, so let's talk about the... Uh, so, yeah, um, recently they had a couple of uh, PAX tournaments going on, and, and uh, or, or PAX shows going on, and... Uh, one of our clan mates came back and talked about it in our forums, and some of the people were talking about it on the Classic Quarter forums, and most of it was speculation of what will or won't be in M12, and maybe a little bit more acutely, what Wizards would be willing to put in M12. I think Soren Markov art has been confirmed. It's like on feature boxes or something like that. Uh there was also a picture of Chandra and a new picture of Jace. And most of the speculation was set off on the new Jace picture. Would Wizards be willing to put in Jace 2.0, uh, a.k.a. Jace the Mind Sculptor, in another set, keep it in Type 2 for two more years? What were your thoughts on that, Andy? I, I think there's a good possibility of it. And I know you're going to hate me for saying that. I know you're going to say no way. But... You know why? Why not? I'm. I. I. I think. I think we could see it as a. I mean, it, it's a complicated card. It's got four different abilities. It's maybe a little bit. And, and if you'd have been asking me sort of three or four years ago, would this see see a core set? I'd be absolutely no way. But you know, core sets have, have come up a long way in their in, in in recent times, and they are a new testing ground. They're introducing people to new, more powerful broken cards. It fits with the kind of idea of bringing uh, Sorin in and uh, Chandra Blaze. So yeah, why not bring in uh, bring in Jace the Mind Sculptor and uh, maybe reprinting it? will see the cost come down just a little smidgen as more uh, more into the system and uh, more into the paper world as well. Um, I think it's a, a fun card. I think a lot of people's hatred towards it is the fact that it costs so much. Um, not necessarily that it's so powerful in, in the game. And uh, one way around that is just to start printing a few um, specific houses to, to try and bring it into line. Um, but I'd, I'd be pretty excited and pretty pumped to see it reprinted. Having said that, I don't really play standard, so I don't really care. My, my primary aim is to see cheaper Jakes the Mind Sculptor so I can them up for Classic. Um, and I think we've kind of already discussed that... Um, the best option might be if it's not reprinted, uh, the price might tank even harder as it rotates out of standard. So from a selfish point of view, I, I, I don't really care if it's in, in the sale or not, but I, I do look forward to not having to shell out 100 tickets for uh, a card which is proving to be a staple in Classic. George? Uh, I think you're insane if you, if, it's, if you think it'll be reprinted. Um, there is no way that they will reprint Chase. People don't like it. Uh, they, they, it's not because it's expensive. That's part of the reason. But one of the major reasons is that it warps the format. And Watsi has said before that, you know, Jace having four abilities is a special thing. And they're not going to put him in the core set and have a Jace-centric metagame for a whole other year. <clears throat> Some other people have said that maybe it's a, a different Jace because it's different art. And... Planeswalkers are, like, integral to their block storylines and mechanics, and I doubt that we're going to see new Planeswalkers and corsets unless the corset sales are tanking. Well, I think... I don't hate on you, Andy, for thinking that it might be in the set. The one thing that I will hate on you for 
is when you said, I don't know if it's as powerful as everybody else thinks it is. Because that card is so ridiculous. <coughs> In the abstract, there's no question that it's one of the most powerful cards out right now, even over old hardcore classic staples. I meant to say, if I'd said powerful, I meant to say um, complicated in terms of a new player coming in and understanding the mechanism of the card rather than the effect it has on the game. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, you know, I selfishly, I think I'm with you a little bit. I don't really care which way it goes. Uh, I, I spent the money, I bought three, but I'd also be in the crowd who has the Force of Wills who wouldn't be opposed to it being re-released. I'd rather have more players than be the... The rich kid on the corner of the block who has the cards that no one else can afford. Um, I totally would love to have, uh, I think, $50. Honestly, uh, if it's not re-released, I see it being in the mold of Tarmogoyf where it's going to have ebbs and flows. Uh, right now, Tarmogoyf's about 30 I think 30 to 50 would be fair to Jace. It's not only is it hard to find an expensive card, it's also a mythic. So it's, it's going to probably be more expensive in the long run than Tarmogoyf. And it just seems like one of those cards that everyone needs to have access to. Because it's so good. It's so much better than the other cards. M12, they'd be nuts, in my opinion, if they re-release it. It's it's too good. I mean, that's just how I see it. But people said that about Baneslayer Angel. They said, oh, no, it'll never be released in M11. It's too powerful. Rah, rah, rah. No. What? Really? Well, they did, but to be fair... Baneslayer Angel is a creature, and Jace the Mind Sculptor is a Planeswalker. Planeswalkers are harder to deal with than, than Baneslayers, or than creatures. And the format changed. I mean, the format could change again where Jace isn't the top, the top uh, card, but it's hard to imagine any standard format where Jace isn't hands down the best card in the, in the format. I don't even agree on the creature. I, I just don't think Baneslayer Angel is as good as everyone else does, and I never have. It's a five-mana investment for something on the ground. I don't like the creature argument because I'll ask you the same question, George. You think they'll re-release Tarmogoyf? It's only a creature. No, I'm saying this is the difference between Baneslayer and Jace the Mind Sculptor. Like, Jace the Mind Sculptor is a lot harder to deal with because it's not a creature. Yeah, Baneslayer's just... It, it's good, and it was re-released, and it dropped, but I think that's it, it was a product of the metagame. Whereas, like you're saying, Jace the Mind Sculptor is the backbone of a color. I don't think Baneslayer's ever been the backbone of white. Anyway, what are some of the other cards that people are talking about in M12 that might see reprint? Um, Finest Hour art was shown, so it's possible that we might have gold cards in the core set. That would be a first, wouldn't it? It would indeed. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing some uh, reprints of uh, Deed or Vindicate. Yeah. Well... I don't know why it's taken so long to get gold into the core set. If I was going to reprint gold, I'd probably want to see Absorb and Undermine. That would be pretty cool. It, you know, it showcases the, the allied colors, which is something that's an underlying theme in basic magic. And you could take things like Vindicate and Pernicious Deed and make them mythics. I think that would still, at least, it wouldn't affect it so much in paper, I don't think. But online, I think that would affect the prices a lot, even even like that. Even if you print them as Mythics, um, Vindicate and Deed are still worth a lot of money. Yeah, but WotC doesn't care about the secondary market. Which is a pretty interesting statement. They've actually said that. 
Um, they, they've said that they will not reprint a card because of the secondary market. Like, um, I mean, Managerain and Tabernacle are, are different animals. The, those cards are fundamentally too powerful, but... I was getting if, ready to say you gave me an out to the power argument, and then you said that. No! Um, they're, they're fundamentally too powerful, but a card like Vindicate is fundamentally not too powerful. So they wouldn't use an excuse of, oh, it's a $20 card in paper and we don't want to drop it. Or, oh, it's a $30 card online and we don't want to drop the price. If that That's were the case... If that were the case, they wouldn't have uh, did it as a promo. Where's my reprinted Force of Will if they don't care about price? Hmm. Well, Force of Will has been stated to not be reprinted. It's the only card online that has the um, reserve list. Really? That's not strictly true. Force of Will is the only card... Wood said that it would never be reprinted in a med set. Yeah. So they're not gonna they're not gonna reprint alliances online, and if they do it as a promo, it's technically not being printed. It's still on the reserve list. So, what about Force of Will being let out on a reserve list this year? Is that gonna happen? Uh, in online because it's not on the reserve list in paper. Oh, I mean as a as a promo online. What do you think about that? You think they'll do that even though the price is high? I think they should. I agree. I would love to see promo Force of Will this year. Love it. I mean, 600 more copies of Force of Will in the system, 150 more play sets, bring it on, and also the possibility of getting some uh, some foil Force of Wills. I mean, if they did that, I'm sure Good foil luck. Force of Will promos would be 400 tickets each or something crazy. But um, yeah, I would luck. love... I would love to see foil Force of Will promos and regular Force of Will promos in the system. Uh, the sooner the better. Really, the sooner the better. Hey, the game needs it. I think that might be the first $500 card online, if that would have happened. It could be. You Easily, have, yeah. You have uh, Yogg Will, which is a one-of, and totally not like it's one format only. You had that card hit 250 280 I heard. You had some people talking about selling the Wastelands, which were a four of for two fifty. Now, I think Force of Will would hit five hundred. I do. Anyway, uh, as far as M twelve goes, I don't think we have too many more details, and I'm sure we'll be discussing it coming up in the future. But I want to seg this over to uh, George and Andy. I know they wanted to get a small discussion in about uh, classic foils. For such a long time, I never got the whole foil thing. I just thought it was a complete waste of money, and uh, I, I just never got into it. And uh, recently, with uh, with Med Four coming on, um, what what has interested me is picking up cards which are which are restricted in vintage, which are banned in Legacy. These are these are cards which we only kind of need one copy of. They're going to be seen in, in many, many decks that I'm going to be building for many, many years ahead. So I'm talking about picking up, and I have done uh, Foil Yagmos Will, uh, Foil Vampiric Tutor, uh, Foil Mana Vault, Soul Ring, Time Vault, Voltaic Key, Fast Bond, Demonic Tutor, all of these kind of uh, iconic foil cards, which, uh, as I said, I'm going to be 
hopefully using these cards for, for years to come. I guess um, when I've kind of ever foils before for decks, um, I, I've, I've gone out, spent a long time hunting them, spent a lot of money getting them, and then the formats rotated and uh, I'm, I'm left with a kind of card. But with these kind of foils, they're going to be in my collection, they're going to be in my decks, and they're going to be looking back at me for hopefully many years to come. So I don't mind paying uh, paying out for those foils. And uh, when Medfoil came out, I originally picked up non-foil copies of all of those restricted cards, um, quickly replaced them with foils, and, and sold off all the all the, the non-foil versions. Um, I I just uh, I, I find them appealing now. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go chasing down. Uh, Foil Jewel Lands or Foil Force of Wills, where those prices are already heavily inflated from uh, from legacy players. But uh, I am going to pick up the ones, uh, and, uh, and they're almost like a badge of honour. They're almost like saying, I take classic seriously. I'm I'm in it for the long haul. I like this format, and uh, I'm prepared to invest that little bit extra in the cards I love and I'm going to be using going forward. So uh, still hunting down a full mana crept if anyone's got one and uh, wants to part with it. But, uh, yeah, so far I've been enjoying uh, enjoying the challenge of, uh, of gathering these foils up. I know George has been uh, into foils for a lot longer than I, and uh, the fact that he jumped in earlier meant he's picked up many of them at um, a cut-down price compared with, uh, with where I'm at. So uh, maybe George can give a, a different view of someone who's been interested in foils in the format for... Uh, for, for a couple of years now, I guess. Foils, foils retain their value much better because all of a sudden they become scarce when the sets stop being drafted. Uh, I mean, look at Tolarian Academy, which is probably the most recently printed money foil. Um, you know, I picked it up a couple of months after uh, the release sometime... It was actually sometime in Urza's Legacy. I picked one up for twenty dollars. Um, it spiked up to eighty, and now it rests around sixty. And so, if there's anything I can say, it would be get the foil copies early because they're almost always going to rise when the set st- stops going on sale. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm hoping Destiny um, drafts are going to maybe push down the price of. Uh... Academy and Yagmos will temporarily, and I might try and pick up a uh, pick up an Academy at that point because that's one I don't I don't have. Um, I'm also interested to see what happens to the the restricted foils from from Med Four um, once Med Four starts to tail off and and uh, less product starts to come into the system. Uh, there's some some really nice tasty foils in Med Four. Uh, Demonic Tutor and uh, Time Vault and Fast Bond and Soul Ring and the, and the like. So it'll be interesting to see if those prices also start to creep up over the coming months. Yeah, I mean, look at look at Mana Crypt. And look at Mana Crypt. I bought my copy for, I think, seven or eight tickets. And now, a year later, with the set being off sale for a year, it's uh, around 40. Who, who's to say that a year from now... All of the uh, restricted cards in Masters Four won't be like forty tickets. Yeah, I, I think that's maybe a possibility. Um, and if we ever do get that, that Power Nine, and we do get the uh, the Vintage Boys coming on with their big budgets, and uh, they're looking out to pimp, pimp out their decks, then uh, these are the cards that I guess have, have potential to really jump up in value. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll come at it from the perspective of somebody who's now. In full disclosure, I did I, I did have a time when I was interested in foils and I was going for them. Um, 
that was before I sold out the last time. I, I've sold out all my cards basically twice. Um, when I came back, I think I'm on the, the, the perspective of a, of a player who's just trying to get started. And uh, the only reason I don't currently pick up foils is because I'm not planning on selling out uh, again ever. So my cards have a different value to me. I guess, than most people's cards would have to them. Like, I'm just not going to get rid of my Force of Wars. I don't care if they go to 150. Um, but I also don't care if they go to 40. Uh, I hope they do. I hope it's more accessible for everyone. But I do wish everyone all the power to them if they do want foils. Like, I am I joke around that you guys are silly for doing it. But in all honesty, I, it's a great move. I, I'd do it if I probably had the money. I think the way I see it as well is um, I'll pick up foils now while, <coughs> while I can, while they're relatively cheap if they if they do jump up in price then um a couple of years down the line i can always uh defoil my deck and do something else with the surplus tickets so um yeah i'm, I'm gonna continue to pick up foils uh as they fall my way um I, I i'm not gonna go crazy though i'm not gonna go buying the mana drains and the force of wills at 250 each and uh i'm not gonna go after the uh the foil promo wastelands and that like but um when good solid restricted cards come up and uh, I can get them at a reasonable price, I'm going to fill out my collection with them. So, yeah. Very good. Yeah, I mean, I foiled out Oath like up to about, I think 57 cards was the highest I had. I was missing three Force Wills. But um, I defoiled it and just turned most of the cards, except for the restricted ones, into regular copies and made like $800 profit. It was it was pretty sweet. Yeah, it's always a good cash injection when you need it. So, um, and I I kind of like the challenge of hunting down these cards and trying to find them as well. Some of them are pretty tricky to find. Um, so so yeah, that, that's a pretty cool um, overview on you guys' feelings on foils and mine. Um, and just a note to all you classic players out there: if we meet each other and you see that I don't have foils, don't think that's not a badge of honor. I'm still coming to kick your butt. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, that's about it for uh, episode eight. Andy, you want to wrap us up here? Yeah, I'd just like to uh, to thank George and Zach for keeping the ship floating while I was uh, engaged in real life. They did a great job over the last couple of weeks. Um, I hope you all enjoy episode eight. Keep the comments coming. We'd like to hear from you all, and uh, see you next time out. Let's fire some events, guys. I'll see you later. Yeah, give us something to talk about. All or right. Else. Bye bye. Fist menacingly. <laughs> <laughs>